All right, as we get started today, there is not just a lot going on in this day, which I've been very excited about with the baptisms and um, the conversations that I've had this week have just um, uh, restored inside of me the understanding that this is what God has called me to do. The people that I've had the opportunity to sit with and, and share the gospel, the people that have shared their testimony with me. Um, we had three baptisms in the first service, and it was just absolutely exciting to see God bring people to the place of saying, hey, you've not taken this step yet. You know, you've surrendered your life, but what about this? Or people that have come to me and said, you know what? I have walked away from the Lord, and I know I was created for bigger things than what I'm experiencing right now, and I feel the Holy Spirit over the last year or so since we've been here doing incredible things in my life, and I need to, I need to hear him, and, and the Lord has told me I need to come in here and be baptized. And so I was excited for that conversation. Um, this past week in a setting that I was in, there was the opportunity to just um, continue to interact with somebody who says, I have a dumb question about Christianity, and I I want you to know there are no dumb questions about Christianity. And, and, the, and the point was, we were talking about baptism, believe it or not, and they said, well, how would you operate within this particular circumstance if this happened? And I got to share the gospel. I got to explain that we're here to extend invitations to people. We are not here to throw rocks at people, but we can't compromise on the truth. Last week, we talked about if we're going to run the race you have to run fair. You don't have a choice. You can sit here and say, well, I don't believe it's wrong to, to put a bigger motor in my car and I can cheat. And do You can say that all day long. It doesn't matter. When you get to the end of the finish line, you will know that cheating and not doing it fair or not doing it Christ's way didn't get you to win the race. We are here to win the race. According to Revelation 2 and 3, we are here to persevere. We are here to overcome. We are here to press in. We are here to not let up. We are here to be um, consumed by this world in fire if necessary because going home is the goal. Going home having been faithful, having led people in Jesus, and going home having enjoyed and lived the biggest life that God could give us. But too many people are missing the life that God has for them because as they run the race, race and it begins to rain, they don't know how to race in the storm. Now when I talk about running the race in the storm, I'm not talking about you pil uh, uh, piling your car up or your life up into a wall. Now, I'm not talking about you suddenly dying. I'm not talking about, I, I'm talking about that you're going through life. The life that you planned is suddenly not the life that you're living. The life that you've been living is suddenly not the life that you're now living. That circumstances have changed enough that the normal that you used to have has to become a new normal if you are going to persevere and be faithful to Jesus and win at this. I don't want you to get by in life. I don't want you to barely um, um, exist in life. I believe that when Jesus said, I came in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. What he actually meant was, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And too many people are like, well, what that really means? No, what it really means is abundantly. Now, I am not a health, wealth, and prosperity preacher, and yet I, I when I look in the mirror, feel like I'm living that life because I am not going to apologize for what God has allowed me to be able to do in, in, in working, and I'm not going to apologize in chasing after Jesus and enjoying the favor of God. I am not going to apologize for saying no to the sin of this world and then walking into the blessing of God when it looks like I just walked away from a lot of fun. And God says, but you don't understand. 
if you'll keep racing even when it starts raining and God thank you for the rain today huh I came to church left Dunkin Donuts this morning where I was suffering for Jesus with a tall coffee with three creamers and two sweeteners and two donuts and I was gonna eat them because that's my routine on Sunday and it started to rain on my uh, my truck and as it started to rain I'm not gonna lie I started crying I will run in the rain for a while. I will race in the real rain for a while. Please, God, my soul, as much as my yard, needs rain. It needs the Holy Spirit inside to challenge me, to convict me, to inspire me, and more than anything, to empower me. Scripture I want to look at today as we talk about racing in the rain and what it means for you to continue to do your work, continue to chase after Jesus Christ is found in the book of Acts. And in chapter 16, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. They're going to show up up there. This time, I'm actually going to read it out of my Bible. Last time, I slipped up and read it off my paper. It's the same thing, and it means the same thing, and it says the same thing. But I just like holding this because it feels good. It's falling apart, and one of these days, I'm going to have to retire it. But right now, I like it. And so we're just going to, we're going to get into the Word, and then we're going to look at what it says about running the race in the storm. When things are difficult, when it starts lightning, what do we do? This is Paul. Brother Luke is writing this epistle. Okay, he's writing this letter. Luke wrote the book of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. Okay, he was a Greek doctor. He was not necessarily one of Jesus' disciples, but he became a disciple of the testimony of. And you'll see that he became a disciple through Paul's testimony. Remember what Jesus said in John 17? Lord, I'm not just praying for those that are right here that are listening to me. I'm praying for those far away that will come as a result of their testimony. And this is that situation in in Acts chapter 16. Luke writes about Paul. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of them. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the, uh, the apostles and the elders <clears throat> excuse me, in Jerusalem for the people to obey. That's speaking of a, a convocation they had in Acts 15. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions, this is, this is the important part. Paul and his companions are running the race. They are racing, and, and, and they're racing in the storm. They're racing in every circumstance they can, but they're racing. So read it that way. Paul and his companions were racing. They were living. They traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Having been kept, having been stopped, the Holy Spirit slammed the door shut and said, no, you're not going into Asia. No. It says, so having been kept from preaching the the gospel, the word, in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Mysia, they uh, tried to enter Bithynia, Bithynia, it says, but the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we, did you see that? 
Did you see what just happened right there? See, you read your Bible so fast that you don't listen to the words that are going through your mind and out of your mouth. Paul did this, and then Paul did that, and then after Paul did that, and after Paul met Timothy, and then Paul tried to go do that, and then the Holy Spirit said that, and then right there, beginning um, at the uh, um, verse uh, 10, it says, then after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready. You see what just happened? Luke just joined them right there. From here on out, Luke will say, and then we did this, and then we did that, and then Paul did this, and then Timothy did that. But he will begin to include himself in the company of these people that are racing in life for Jesus. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for most Macedonia in uh, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so you have this picture of Dr. Luke, who is a Greek. And Dr. Luke, who is a Greek, Greek has been listening to the gospel. And he, in his first uh, letter that he wrote called the Book of Luke, we refer to it as the Book of Luke, he starts that book by saying, O great Theophilus, I have searched out and done everything I can to bring to you the gospel all about Jesus. And, and he tells him so that you might believe. But he calls him, O great Theophilus. Now, he's talked all about Jesus in the book of Luke. And then all of a sudden he writes the book of Acts. And he doesn't call it Acts. He just writes a letter. And this letter he says, O Theophilus. He doesn't call him O great Theophilus anymore. He calls him O Theophilus. So he's gone from O Great Theophilus to O Theophilus. And, and Luke is just saying, hey, Theophilus, Theophilus, I'm, I'm going to continue. I'm going to tell you what happened to the church. It began to grow and expand and incredible things happened. And I want you to be encouraged and I want you to be inspired and I want you to believe. And so Luke is writing to Theophilus, okay? Theophilus is a Greek name. It's a Greek name. So we have two Gentiles. One Gentile trying to lead the other Gentile to Jesus. And it's an amazing situation when you just look at that particular situation. But he begins to say, this is what's going on. I need you to understand this. This is the deal. And so we understand from him calling him a great Theophilus to Theophilus that a couple of thousand years ago, it got very expensive to be Christians because, oh, great, in front of their name means that they had a political position in the community. And when he just calls him Theophilus at the beginning of Acts, it means he lost the position. And now they're just friends. See, you don't take away that, that uh, prefix. It needs to be there. If the prefix is gone, theologians believe it's because he lost his job, he lost his position, because thousands of years ago, if you decided you're going to be a follower of the Christ, they took your job, they took your house, they took your children, they took your wife, they took your things, and they kept them because you were a heretic. And you were subverting, if not perverting, the true word. And so we have this picture that this crazy doctor is chasing him along now, and it's all wonderful. And Paul is traveling. He picks up Luke and Timothy. We see all that. And we begin to understand as we read this story about Paul wanting to go into Asia, wanting to go over through Turkey, through the, the, what we know as the Stans now, and over into actually China. He wanted to go that way. He wanted to preach the gospel. He says, we're going north, and then we're going to turn east. That's what we're going to do. Come on, let's go. And so that's what he's doing. And he gets up to where he's going, and the Holy Spirit says, no, and slams the door shut, says, you're not going in. Stop. It's not going to happen. That night they go to bed. Paul has a great vision. There's a man in Macedonia over toward Greece. And he says, come on over here. Come on over here. We need your help. Paul wakes up and he said, I had a dream. 
And as a result of that dream, they instead went to Macedonia. And as a result of that, incredible things happened. Paul's success in remaining faithful to God in the midst of tough times, because remember, going on a mission trip was not like what I'm about to go on. It, mine could end up that way. There is unrest in that area of the world right now. But for Paul, his idea of a mission trip is like, dude, let's go on a mission trip. Man, they'll take us outside the city and stone us, and they'll think they stoned us to death. To death. Hey, let's go on a mission trip. They'll probably beat us, but yeah, praise God that we get to bear the marks of Jesus. Um, hey, let's go on a mission trip. They're going to throw us off the boat, and we're going to bob up and down in the ocean for three days. And they're all going to think we're, we're going to die. That's his idea of a mission trip. And his ability to stay successful was in his ability to change with the storm. See, when things get difficult, we have to be willing to find a new normal. We can't say, I want to keep doing what I've always done, even though the circumstances around me have changed. We've got to stop and say, take a deep breath. I can't go backwards. We're not trying to go backwards. Take a deep breath. We're moving forward in the new norm. It's raining now. We talked last week. We've got to slow down. We've got to put a different set of tires on. We've got to surround ourselves with different friends. Things have to change. It's the person that's not willing to change that ends up hurt the most when the circumstances around them change the normal of their life. Let me give you an example. You ever planted a tree and watched that tree grow and a storm comes and the ice comes and hangs the branches down and it gets beat back and forth and back and forth? Its ability to bend and change makes it stronger than the trees that don't bend and strain. You wonder why, uh, ever wonder why a willow tree can, can take it and an oak tree can't? Because the oak tree is hard inside. It's a hardwood. It snaps off. Branches fall down. It gets terrible. It's difficult. When we were out in Oklahoma, somebody gifted us, when, when we built a house out there, somebody gifted us two apple trees, a male one and a female one. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know how you tell the difference between a male apple tree and a female apple tree. It's not like that one's wearing a skirt and this one's wearing pants. It, it just, it's not there. Okay, but somebody assured me this is a male apple tree, this is a female apple tree. And so we planted them about 12 feet apart. And we thought, hey, you know, this is going to be great. We'll get apples. Well, my wife didn't want apples. She just wanted a pretty tree. And so she was out there one, one year. They were about this tall. And she was out there trimming them, making them round. She wanted them to be round. You know, she'd read something. We didn't have online back then, but she'd read something. And it's like, if you do this, 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 and this, you can groom your apple tree into a little ball. It will look like a lollipop out in your yard. And so that was her goal. And she did that. It just so happened that one of our children was watching her. She snip, 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 make everything the right size. And then she went in the house. And while she was in the house, that child grabbed the lopers, not the snippers, but the lopers, and went over to the other tree and cut that tree in half at about that high. This tree got groomed. This tree met a new norm. Okay? No branches, no leaves, nothing to bring sunlight into the plant at all. But I'm telling you, my wife said, well, what about that? What are we going to do? Dig it up and plant a new tree? And I said, no, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm not interested in digging it up in 108 degree temperature outside. I'm not digging a tree up. And she said, okay, well, we'll just leave it there. She said, 
Who knows? Maybe the Lord will incline his ear toward you. Very spiritual. Will incline his ear toward us and put growth in our tree and breathe life back into it. The next year, this tree, although it was not as tall as this tree, was exploding with branches and leaves and all kinds. There's no reason whatsoever cutting that tree in half should have produced, it should have killed it if you cut it that low. And yet, that tree suffered so much that it exploded into growth. And this tree over here, while it was taller, was always weaker and spindlier where the branches were concerned, and it was kind of crazy. The ability to change with the storm, the ability to grab a hold of a new norm, downsize my spending habits, let go of some of my stuff, whatever it might be, that when you face something, you grab a new norm, what we call in our house, shift to a lower gear, slow down, but go more powerfully. And that's what Paul was able to do. We're going to Asia. And he gets up there, and the Lord says, no, you're not. You ever been there? This is where my life's going. And the Lord says, it's done going that way. And you're like, why? It was going good. I was doing things for you, Jesus. And the Lord says, no, we're done going that way. And the Lord makes sure that that cannot happen. You've got to be able to change. And we're going to talk about that. See, when your hands are on the steering wheel of a sports car, you get to realize all kinds of different things. And Paul thought he had a hold of the steering wheel while he was racing through life. Oh, you can hold on to it, but that doesn't mean the car is going where you want it to go because you don't set the track. You just make the car go. Sometimes not even that. You know, you can plan for all you want, but you know what? All it takes is a heart attack to ruin your finances. All it takes is a month ago for somebody to lose control of their car and slide sideways and hit my son head on and put him in the hospital to wake you up and shut you down. You stop what you're doing and you find a new norm inside that circumstance and that's your life right now. That circumstance. If you're going to win, if you're going to come out the other side, and I did not have a problem and I do not have a problem with the fact that God said you, Wood family, are going through this. Other people go through it. It rains on the just and the unjust. You are going through it. And I did not say, God, I hate you for this. I said, God, I don't like this, but I'm walking with you because you set the course. Paul says, only run the race marked out for you. See, God's marked out a race for me. And I can trust God when he's doing that. I can trust that. You know, when your hands are on the wheel of a sports car, you can feel the road. You can feel that road is absolutely amazing. You can feel every bump. You can feel every gravel. When you are holding onto the steering wheel of your life and of a sports car, you can feel the response of a sports car. When I'm coming up and I see something that looks like either a dead um, skunk or a hole in the road, either one, it doesn't matter. I can change lanes that fast in my car and I'm right back over and it's absolutely amazing. <clears throat> Just like that. It's crazy. You can feel it when you're holding on to your life. When you're holding on to the, your, your, um, the steering wheel of your life, you can feel the motor and you can feel something's off. You can feel it through the steering wheel. And you think in your life that if you can hang on to that steering wheel, that you actually are in control. And I want to tell you that you're not. Because all it takes 
is somebody to lose control and shift into your lane and suddenly you're facing a new norm. Sometimes it's outside circumstances, and listen to me, it's nothing you did. Some of you are sitting in this room, and you are facing a new norm, and it has nothing to do with any sin you accomplished or any um, neglect that you, it has nothing to do with that. Somebody on the outside entered your race hit your car, and you had nothing to do with it, but you think holding on to the steering wheel is your answer because this is, you believe that if you can control your life, you can control the pain and the danger that comes, and you can't. You know what I've often found is the people that are trying to hold on to their steering wheel, their life, in order to control it end up projecting onto the people that they love the most, not because they hate them, but it comes across that way, but because they want to control them to keep them safe. And they realize that no matter how hard they do this, they're not keeping anybody safe. They're actually making those people mad at them, and they don't want anything to do with them. And they end up facing rejection, and it hurts. And it doesn't make sense because they held on tight. It's like holding a chicken. You ever held a chicken? You should bring chickens to church and let people hold them. <laughs> because this is how you need to hold your life. If you hold a chicken, you hold it this way. You don't hold it this way. If you hold the chicken this way, you will kill the chicken. And some of you are holding your life this way. You're holding your life so tight to try to protect your life. You're trying to protect the chicken. You're trying to protect your race car. You're holding it so tight, but what you're doing is strangling it to death. It's the same way pastors kill churches. Rather than give other people in the church authority to, to manage some of the ministry, they hold it tight because it's my church. Listen, the, this never was my church, and it's still not my church. This church belongs to Jesus. I'm just a shepherd that he's called um, to, to be accountable for it. I'm giving away as much ministry as I can when it fits the vision and the mission of what we're doing. But you can feel the motor when you're holding on to the, uh, the steering wheel of your car. You know what I've noticed is that sometimes I have the music. I got Pink Floyd. I, yeah, I listen to Pink Floyd. Okay, I've got Pink Floyd up so loud that when they hit certain songs, I think my car is falling apart. And I stop and I turn the radio off and the problem with the motor and everything that I can feel in the steering wheel goes away. When I turn the radio back on in a couple of seconds, I'm driving in the steering wheel. I can feel, well, Pink Floyd, they do concerts, and so you should listen to their music like in concert level. So like if I pull up next to you on the thing and you're like, what is going on in there? And, and, and you know, a healthy mix, but it's like that's what's going on. You know, my favorite song came on and I'm jamming and it's there. But you can feel it in the steering wheel. Same thing is true of our lives when we hold that steering wheel so tight, every single little bump becomes a problem because we're trying to protect ourselves. I rode in a Lamborghini one time, a Countach. My brother called me when I went down there and visited him and said, hey, if you come down here and visit me, um, uh, my friend Dwight's going to take you out in his Lamborghini. You want to go for a ride in a Lamborghini? I said, yeah. You want to go for a ride in a Lamborghini? Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd like to go for a ride in a Lamborghini. Yeah, why not? So I got there and Dwight put me in his Lamborghini. Dwight wouldn't let me drive his Lamborghini. Dwight was younger than I was, and, but he wouldn't let me drive his Lamborghini. And I thought, well, Dwight's got issues. He's got idolatry issues. He's got self-interest <laughs> issues. I had all kinds of spiritual reasons that he really shouldn't own that car anymore and um, maybe should give it to me because I would not hold it that tight. Um, 
I don't think it's a bad thing that Dwight wouldn't let me drive that car. Um, I've come to that understanding recently. It's like, no, 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 you may not. It's not going to happen ever. So he took me for a ride instead. And you know what I discovered while I was riding down um, I-20 in uh, Fort Worth, Texas at a very high rate of speed with a 12-cylinder motor behind my head? And I thought I was like on fire and I was all that. I, I came to understand that if you gave me that Lamborghini, I would sell it, buy a Corvette, and give the money to an orphanage. That's how much I think of that Lamborghini now. That Lamborghini is mostly nothing but an image. Because every single cigarette butt on that highway felt like a speed bump. You're riding about that high above the, the concrete, because it's all concrete roads out there. Every crack went bam, 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 like that. Because it's a race car. It's not designed to be comfortable. It's designed to be pretty, it's designed to be a status symbol, and it's designed to go very, very fast. But it is not designed to be comfortable, not even a little bit. And it was amazing, but I would sell it, um, and, and, and I would do that. And so sometimes our lives are that way too. We think if we can get them bigger, prettier, and faster, that they'll be better, and instead we're hitting everything like a speed bump, because we're holding on too tight. Paul and his friends desperately wanted to go to Asia Minor and they were holding the steering wheel. Paul actually thought he was in charge. They're going on a mission trip. They're going to plant churches. And all of a sudden God says no because God set the track. You know, Paul was the best of the best of the best. Paul was the guy. We should all strive to be like Paul. Paul said, follow me as I follow the Christ. Um, let me be an example as you chase after Jesus. And we should say, well, if Paul can't get it, what happened? Paul got it wrong. Paul said, come with me, team. We're going on a mission trip. We're going to go over to Asia. We're going to go north, then we're going to go east. We're going to Asia. And he gets up there, and, and God says, no, 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 no. You're not going. Have you ever been there? And I'm telling you right now, when you're holding on to that steering wheel and you're running your race and the circumstances begin to change, it's because God is the one that created the track. And he knows the track. Paul thought he was running the track. He thought he understood the track. He was holding the steering wheel. He was in control. And God said, you're not in control. I've changed the track. This is a picture of uh, Nürburgring, Nürburgring um, racetrack. It was built in 1927 in the uh, forests of Eiffel, Germany. This is one of the most famous 24-hour or longer races in the world. It takes place at that racetrack. Okay? They reach really high rates of speed, and it's amazing. It's like 32 uh, miles long. It's absolutely an incredible track, and I want desperately, desperately to go there. Um, excuse me, it's 13 miles. Um, I want desperately to go there. Not to like, I mean, I would like to rent one of their cars and drive it just so I can walk away and say I did. But the crazy part is, as you look at that track, since 1927, it has changed and it will change depending on who's racing on it. Down at that little tail end down there on the bottom, they will actually open up a road straight across and you'll miss the whole tail end bottom. The race changes. This race, um, the elevation changes in this race are in hundreds of feet over the whole course of this race because it's set in the mountains and it's got what they call blind hilltops, meaning you come up over top of a rise but the road turns and you don't see it until you get over top of it. So you've got to know the course. But what happens when you're running this course and you're up there in the northeast section and all of a sudden somebody changes the course up a little bit? It is important that we understand that while just because we're holding the steering wheel does not mean we're in control, following the one in front of us who knows the track is what it's important about. 
That's that one, 13 and some miles, 0.2 miles long, um, and, and that's just absolutely amazing. This is the track from the um, Bowling Green Motorsports um, um, Motor Park. I put this one up here, not in comparison, but just to show you that that's the track that you can run over there but you see all the lighter gray lines means they can change the, the track at any time they want. And suddenly, you change the track and you've changed the race. You change that track to where it's a big oval, and I promise you, you'll start running faster times. You put a couple of more squiggles and turns in that baby, and you're going to slow everybody down. The problem with the Nürburgring was they put enough squiggles in it to slow people down, but technology sped up, and people learned how to go faster and how to drift. So they had to find other ways to change the track. I'm just telling you. We can think that we've got it all together in our lives, but what about that track? Let me walk down through these things if I can. What does this scripture about Paul trying to get into Asia and not being allowed to go tell us about living our lives? Number one, you can have your hands on the wheel, but God determines the course. It's that simple. You can put your hands on the wheel. You can plan on your college degree. You can plan on where you're going to live. You can plan on what job you've got. But at the end of the day, it is God that will determine whether those things do or do not take place in your life. You can run from the plan of God all you want, but God will corral you and corral you and change the track and change the track until he gets you where he wants you to be. Isaiah 55 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way, declare the Lord. God can allow the course to change. God can change the course. But God always knows if and when the course will change because he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He already knows the problem you're going to have tomorrow because he's already there. Paul said to the church in Galatia, Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Let's don't do that. Let's keep in step with the Spirit so the Spirit will tell us that just over this rise, it turns to the left. Janice and I, Pastor Janice and I, went on a motorcycle trip one time. We left out of the driveway. Literally, I backed it out and had a vision of a big purple semi with the wheel coming, tire coming off. Literally. We were headed up to see her mom. We hopped on the highway at exit 90. We headed north, and by the time I got to exit north of exit 95, I was smelling rubber. My wife said, what is that, you? I said, that's not us. I said, there's a semi around us somewhere, and the tire's going to come off. We're looking for a purple semi. I said it right out loud to her. We're looking for a purple semi. We saw no purple semi. We crossed exit 97. It was getting stronger. She said, are you sure that is not this motorcycle? I said, it's not this motorcycle. There's a purple semi up here. We're looking for a purple semi. We crossed exit 97, headed toward the curve where it went like that, and I saw the purple semi up in front of us. I said, that tire right there is going to come off, but there was no way to back off. I could have slammed on the brakes and, and got piled into. I might have been moving along at 75 miles an hour if I'm conservative, um, and I was trying to get to, well, anyway. So um, I repented, but we went past this semi. I said, it's that tire right there, and there was traffic all around us, and I got as close as I am to that black guitar right there and it was up in front of me at a 45 degree angle and all of a sudden that tire blew and the whole tire came off and I had two choices slam on the brakes and get run over by the minivan behind me or give it the gas and see if I could get past it I was getting pelted by little tiny pieces of rubber and all this took that much time and I heard the Lord scream in my heart go 
and I laid down on the throttle, downshifted one time, and went under the tire, looked in the rearview mirror, and that tire smashed into the windshield of the car behind it. When you're running your race, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to talk to us. And when he says, there's going to be a purple semi, and the tire's going to fly off, you need to be looking for a purple semi. You can't explain that any other way than the way I just explained it to you. It was God, I'm backing out of my driveway, 129 Wesley Court, and I had a vision that quick of a purple semi, and I told Janice, we're looking for a purple semi. People have told me all my life, be careful, don't drive that close to semis, Joe. What if their tire blows? And since 1971, I have never... 81, have never experienced a tire blow out next to me until God told me it was going to happen. I'm telling you, God wants to speak to you. My ball is up here because some of you want God to move in your lives, and yet you're living like this ball. I put this ball down, it went to that spot, and it stayed right there. And this is how you're living your relationship to God. I'm not moving from here. I'm not believing anything different. I'm not growing any deeper. As a matter of fact, I'm probably not even growing. I'm probably not spending time with Jesus. I go to church. I go to church. I got saved. I got baptized. But this is all I want. And I'm staying right there because I have all the answers. If you're challenged in an area of your life, you're like, nope, nope. That does not fit my theology that I created in order to make this work in my life. And I'm just telling you, that's idolatry. We take what Jesus said, we act accordingly, we leave it in the Lord's hand. It doesn't matter if you believe it, can reason it, or anything else. It's Jesus' way. We talked about this this last week, or no way. We, we have to race fair according to what he said. But here's the deal. This is why Paul was able to do this. Because you want God to do something in your life, and the important part is you at least have to move. You have to do something. Start reading your Bible. Start praying on a regular basis. Start journaling. Because once you start moving... See, now God can change the direction of the ball. But he can't do it until it starts moving. As Paul began to move north and began to go up preaching to people, because he was moving, God, and he wanted to go this way, God was able to say, no, go that way. As a result of going that way, Paul planted a church of Berea, he planted a church of Thessalonica, and he planted a church of, uh, was it Philippi? He planted those three churches, and it was absolutely amazing. You may have your hands on the wheel, ladies and gentlemen, but it is God that determines the track, and you've got to trust him. Ask him to get you through it, not around it, not under it, not over it. Ask him to get you through it so you can learn from it. Second thing is they allowed the new circumstance to lead them and not discourage them. Some of you are in difficult situations right now. It feels like it's always storming. Take a deep breath and understand that God is trying to move things in your life. God is doing things, and it's up to us whether we're going to let them lead us or discourage us. Can you imagine right now if Paul just laid on the ground and said, if I can't go to Asia Minor, I'm going to throw a, a Christian hissy fit? <laughs> no. Say, God, you're changing because you get to. You're the one that's set the race out before us. You've marked it out. That's important. In the book of Chronicles, the scripture says, God is with us. He's our leader. His priests and their trumpets will sound the battle cry against you, speaking of um, one of these countries. He said, the people of Israel, you don't fight against the Lord, the God of your ancestors, for you will not succeed. 
If you keep trying to do it your way, if you keep trying to force what you want to happen, you might find yourself, as Gamaliel said, fighting against God. Stop and ask the Lord what he's doing and what you're supposed to do as a result of it. The third reason they were successful is because Paul was willing, and because he was willing to make the changes and to understand a new norm, the Holy Spirit gave him a vision, literally gave him a vision. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I give you, my peace I give you. I don't give you peace the way the world does. No, no. I give you peace, so don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. The Holy Spirit wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you about the purple semis in your life. But, man, we've got to start listening. And we've got to understand that we can seek him and we will find him, but it's when we seek him with all of our hearts. And is that the way that we are seeking God? You never know what God saved Paul and those guys from by not letting them go into Asia. Paul ran the race, but God dictated the track. As a result, the mission was a success. You want your life to be successful? You've got to run the track marked out for you. As a result of that, Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica were all planted and were amazing churches. In John 12, Jesus said, I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it will produce many seeds. Paul knew that Jesus was marking out the race. All he had to do was run it and hold that steering wheel lightly. Not, you know, Carrie Underwood, not like that. But hold it lightly. Let God dictate the course and let him lead you. It has to be that way. <clears throat> what will it mean for you to run the course when the weather changes the course? Are you fighting right now the control of God when he's trying to use the circumstances that you're in to change your theology or to bless you? I want to encourage you to stop fighting God. Sometimes when it's dark, it's because if it's not dark, you're going to get distracted. And if it's not dark, you won't sit still. And if it's not dark, you'll keep trying to move. And God's saying, then sit still and be quiet. I need you to be still so I can talk to you. And we say, God, I want you to, I want you to speak to me. I want you to do great things in my life, but I'm not moving from here. I'm not going to move like this ball. I'm not going to move from here until you do it. And God's saying, if you'll just start moving, I can do it. I can take you places you never dreamed of going if you'll just give me your best yes. I can let you experience things you never dreamed of. It won't hurt anybody back there, I promise you. Some of you are sitting there like, the ball, the ball! It's a soft rubber ball. It's okay. If your life was as flexible as that ball, you would be amazing. You would be. And you would be amazed at what God is doing in your life. You would. Listen to me. God is in charge of the course. Paul said, run the race marked out for you. My race is different than yours. You aren't all called to be pastors, but we are called to run together, and our races intersect every Sunday morning right here so that we can go out from here chasing Christ in truth and integrity, that we might receive his favor but change Central Kentucky. Jesus loves you. Jesus is not mad at you. Run the race. Grab a hold of the new norm and say, I can do this because it's going to change again. 
hang on because it's about to change. If God has been speaking to you, if the Lord has been trying to get a hold of your heart, or maybe it's time for Him to get a hold of your soul, we want to pray for you. So we say, come Holy Spirit and speak into our lives. Come in, Holy Spirit, and wreck us. Come Holy Spirit and challenge us, change us, and grow us up to be what you want us to be because you are God. But you love us. Fall upon us. These people are here to pray for you. This song is our closing song. You come up here. Let them speak the truth on you.